Good morning, everyone. How are you doing today? Nothing like throwing you off right at the very beginning to get us going. As Lance said, turn in your Bibles to John, the 14th chapter. Uh, in John, the 14th chapter, we're going to continue on in the series we've been in over the last several weeks uh, in the I Am series. Uh, several years ago, uh, we went as a family to a convention in Florida. We went down to Orlando, and uh, it was going to be a great time together. We were uh, at this convention. We were going to go there for a couple days, and we were going to spend a few days on vacation. And it was exciting because our girls had never been to Florida, and we were really looking forward to this time. And I was really excited because we got into our hotel, and it wasn't very far from the convention center. And I looked, and, and I was able to see the convention center uh, out the window. And I could see where some cars were parked, and I thought, man, we're going to be able to walk over there. It's such beautiful weather. We're just going to walk. We're going to save the $10 in parking fees, and we're just going to have a great time together on our little journey. So we take out the, the hotel, and we start headed towards this building. And I know that as we were leaving the hotel, one of the family members, I don't know if it was Lori or one of the girls, said, are you sure you know which way to go? Well, of course I know which way to go. I mean, I'm the leader here, right? Just follow me. I will get us to our destination. So we take off to this building that I think is the building that we're supposed to be at. And when I get to this uh, building, we walk up to the first door, and you can see inside, and nobody's inside. And this is a big convention, and I thought, hmm, that's kind of strange. Nobody's inside. And I began to pull on the door, and the door's locked. Oh, well, we're just at the wrong door, wrong side of the building, because the cars are kind of on the other side of the building. So we began to walk down, and we hit another set of doors, and same thing. Doors are locked. You can't see anybody inside. And we get to the third set of doors and the fourth set of doors, and we keep going further and further around the building, only to find the same thing over and over and over. Doors are locked. Nobody's there. Well, finally, after trying about four or five sets of doors, there's a security guard that shows up, and he's riding a little Segway thing, you know, those little two-wheeled, it looked cool. Uh, I thought he had to be a cool security guard riding one of those. And he comes out the door, and he says, can I help y'all find something? Oh, oh, no. We're right where we need to be. I'm just confused because all the doors are locked, and there's nobody inside. And he begins to question us and find out where we're going, and I feel all these eyes just glaring at me. And so he finally informs me that you're in the wrong location. And he starts to explain where we need to go. And then I think for my safety, he said, I'll take you there. And so he lets us in. Now, in Florida, it was kind of hot and, and we're sweaty and it just really wasn't a good time at this moment. So he lets us come into this building, and inside the building it was nice and cool, and we're walking, but he's on his little Segway. So he rides way up in front of us, and then he stops, and he waits on us, and we get there. And this goes on and on. This was a big building. And we finally get to the other side of the building, and we go out some doors, and he points across the street to this massive building, and he said, that's where you need to go. Now here's what I learned that day was no matter how convinced I was that I knew where I was going, I was never going to get us to our destination because I'd never been there before and I was lost. 
But he knew exactly where to take us because it was a place that he had been before and he knew how to get there. And so he took us on the journey. He got us to our destination. The journey that I was leading on would never get us to our destination. Again, we've been in a series over the past several weeks looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus Christ that are found in the book of John. And we have seen over the past several weeks that in each one of these statements, Christ is revealing his character, he's revealing his nature, he's revealing his deity, and he is also revealing to us our greatest needs. And we're going to see that in our passage that we look at this morning. We have uh, seen in this study that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is the only one who can satisfy us. He said that I am the light of the world. He is the one that shows us the way in the darkness. He said, I am the gate. He is the only way to the Father. He said, I am the good shepherd. He is the one who lays down his life for his sheep. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will never die. And today we're going to look at what some might say is the boldest I am statement that he makes. Now all these other statements are pretty bold, but what he's going to make in the passage today, some believe to be the boldest statement that he makes. So let's read together. We're going to be in John chapter 14. We're going to just look at six short verses, the first six verses in John chapter 14. And we're going to dig into those verses. There's a lot of stuff that we will cover in these verses today. So notice what he says beginning in John 14 in verse 1. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, let's stop right there. Now, I know that I just told you we got a lot of stuff to cover. And you think, man, we're never going to get through this. You can't even get through the first verse. But it's very important that we understand what's going on. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Why were their hearts troubled? Well, if you go back into uh, chapter 13, you will see Jesus and the disciples, and they're in the upper room. They're celebrating uh, the Passover feast. And it's the night before Jesus is betrayed, before he gets arrested, before he's tried, and before he goes to the cross. So it's got to be a pretty intense moment up there in the room. And Jesus is sharing a lot of different things with the disciples. And the last thing that he begins to share with them, you see it in verse 31 of chapter 13. says, as soon as Judas left the room, Judas is going out to betray Jesus. As soon as he left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. And God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son and he will do so at once. He says, dear children, I will only be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I am going. So the disciples have been with Jesus. They've been living with Jesus. They've been walking with Jesus. Every day they're spending time with Jesus. Now Jesus has been preparing them for this moment But they don't understand what time it is. They don't understand that his time has come and that he is going to the cross. But he says, it's time for me to go. And you cannot go with me. So imagine that they've been following him. They've given their life to him. They're surrendered to him. They're going everywhere that Jesus goes. And he says, the time has come for me to leave you. 
You can imagine why they would be discouraged. You can imagine why their, their hearts would be troubled at that time. They were bewildered. They were discouraged because Jesus is leaving them and he is not going to let them go with him at this time. As a matter of fact, if you read on, Thomas said, hey, I'm ready to go with you. I don't want you to go without me. I'm ready to go with you and I will go with you even unto death. And Jesus tells him that, no, you're going to deny me three times before the night is over. And so you can see there's probably a little bit of confusion in their lives as well. The disciples were completely discouraged. Jesus said he was going away, that he would die. He said that one of the, the twelve would betray him. He said that Peter would disown him. He said that Satan was at work against all of them. And all of the disciples would fall away. And all the weight of these revelations must have greatly depressed them. As I was studying through this this week, I was trying to picture what it would be like to be in the room with them at that time as Jesus is sharing all these different things with them. And it's easy to see how their hearts would be troubled. So Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. And there's something we see here about the character of Jesus. And we see in this passage the character of an encouraging Savior. Let not your hearts be troubled. Even though Jesus had been preparing this, them for this moment, they weren't quite ready. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. I wonder if that's the message for someone here today. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled today. Don't be troubled in your spirit. Don't be troubled with the things that are going on in this world. Don't be troubled with the chaos that's in your life. Don't be troubled today you see Jesus knowing that he's getting ready to go to the cross you think this would be a time where where everything's about him but he's looking at the heart of his disciples and he says I don't want you to be discouraged and I believe today in our lives he looks at us and he says I don't want you to be discouraged I want you to be encouraged I want you to to live life live it to the fullest because I've come to give you abundant life and it is through him that we have this abundant life. And even though there's things going on that we don't always understand and we don't always see the big picture. And we know that there's things in this life that can get us discouraged. We need to listen to these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And in this, he encourages them in a couple of different ways. Let's go ahead and read the rest of these verses and we'll begin to break them down. But he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus giving them these encouraging words. In a couple of ways, he encourages them. First way he encourages them is by reminding them who he is. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. 
As I was reading through this this week and I began to think about that statement, it began to bring up different thoughts in my mind, different things that Christ has done in my life, different ways that he has revealed himself to me over and over. And again, I began to think about what the disciples must have thought when Jesus made this statement to them where he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is wanting to remind them exactly who he is. Maybe that statement brought about the memories of the wonderful miracles that Jesus did in their presence and miracles that they were a part of. Possibly they thought at that moment about the great miracle of the the feeding of the multitudes and how Jesus was able to take something that was very little and turn it into something that was great so that everyone there that day would be satisfied. Maybe they began to think of the miracles where they saw Jesus heal the sick. Maybe at that moment the thought would come into their mind of when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And what a great day that that was. I don't know exactly what it is that was going through their mind when he told them that. But he said, believe in God. Believe also in me. Remember who I am. Maybe they thought of the statements that he made, like, I am the resurrection and the life. That those that believe in me, even though they die, they will continue to live. Maybe they thought about the statement where it was very simple, where he just said, I and the, and the Father are one. But Jesus is wanting them to remember. Remember who I am. Let not your hearts be troubled. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. Remember me. Instead of Jesus getting upset with them and looking down at them of, why are you discouraged? I've been preparing you for this day. Why are you down? Why are you letting your hearts be troubled? He encourages them by saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Remember who I am. Don't let the problems and the pains of this world get you down. Believe in God. Believe in me. Trust in God. Trust in me. Remember who I am. And again, these are encouraging words for us today as well. Don't let the things of this world discourage you. Don't let your heart be troubled. Remember who I am and remember what I've done. I want to tell you, when the weight of this world begins to get real heavy on you, all you got to do is remember Jesus. Jesus. Remember that he is in control. He knows all things. That he is all-powerful. Great words for us to remember today. And then he also encourages them with a uh, two-promise statement. And the first promise is that he is going away, but he's going away to prepare a place for those that love him. This place that Jesus has gone away to prepare is the place called heaven. Now, there are a lot of thoughts that people have about what heaven is going to look like. Matter of fact, we could have a discussion this morning, and you would have some thoughts, I would have some thoughts. And if you want to get just a glimpse of the beauty of heaven, read Revelation chapter 21, and you will get just a small glimpse of how beautiful that place of heaven is going to be. But there are a lot of people that that kind of picture heaven that has rows and rows and rows of mansions, right? How many of you have heard the song, uh, 
now it just left me. It just came to me and left me. It's a good thing for you that I'm not going to sing it. Uh, but there's a mansion waiting for me just over in glory. You know the song I'm talking about? Old song. Anybody know it? Am I up here by myself? All right. So you know what I'm talking about. We make songs about it, that there's going to be mansions in glory. Now, I don't know exactly what heaven is going to look like, but where people come up with that thought that there's going to be mansions there, or some versions translate this, that in heaven... Jesus is going to prepare a mansion for me. Now, I do not believe that Jesus is up in heaven right now, got his tool belt on, his hammer out, and he's building a mansion for each one of us. And I think that the way that this version translated is probably one of the best translations where he said, there's more than enough room in my father's home. More than enough room in my father's house because the word that is translated home or house is actually abode. It means abode. It means a dwelling place. That Jesus is preparing the dwelling place for us. And that dwelling place in heaven, I love this, he said, there's more than enough room there. Isn't that good news? There's more than enough room for all of us and the dwelling place, the abode that Jesus is preparing for those of us that place our faith and our trust in him. And he says, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare that place for you. When I think about what heaven will look like, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear has heard and whatever has, or what has never come into man's heart, that is what God is preparing for those who love him. To put it very simply, that's saying that in our human minds, we cannot even conceive what God is preparing for those that love him. You know, God has prepared a lot of beautiful places. Lance mentioned one that they went to this week. A lot of incredible things that we can go and see here on this earth. But I believe that there is nothing here on this earth, nothing that our mind can even dream up that compares to what God is preparing for those that love him. And that is going to be ours one day. And Jesus says, I'm going away to prepare that place for you. And then here's the second part of the promise, that when that place is ready, when the time is ready, then I'm going to come again to receive you unto myself. I got great news for you this morning. Jesus Christ is coming again. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. Jesus Christ is coming again. He is preparing a place for us, and he's not going to leave us here, and he's not going to leave us guessing on how to get to that place. He is coming again to receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 describes this time when Jesus will come again. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, we who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What a wonderful day that is going to be. So Jesus saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Yes, I'm going to go away for a little while. And I'm going away because I'm going to be preparing a place for you. But I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. So don't let your hearts be troubled. He was encouraging the disciples. And he's encouraging us with those very words today. And then Jesus goes on to say, And the way you know to where I'm going 
And you got to love Thomas. Thomas, uh, he's like, wait a second. Hold up. We don't know the way to where you're going. Jesus, how could we know the way to where you're going? All we know is that you're leaving and, and you say you're going to prepare this place and, and we know the way, but we don't know the way. I love this idea where Jesus is going and he's going to prepare for us a home. And Thomas and the other disciples, they've been with Jesus. They've been hanging out with Jesus. And now Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm going away to prepare your home. And I can almost see Thomas saying, Lord, we don't know how to get home. How do we know how to get there? And then it's almost like a question of, are you going to be able to get us home? Home. And Jesus looks at him. And this is where he begins to make the boldest statement that he's ever made. Look with it again. Look at it with me again. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, you're going away to prepare us a home. We don't know where this home is. How could we? And at this moment, Jesus says, you know the way because you know me and I am the way. I am the truth. I am the light. You don't have to worry because you've placed your faith and trust in me. I am the way. You know the way. Now, we could end it right there and say, we know the way. Jesus is the way, right? Say that with me. Jesus is the way. I'm not sure you're awake. Say it again. Jesus is the way. Ready? We're going to do it on three. That way we'll all get it together. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus is the way. Who's the way? Jesus. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Now I want to break this down a little bit. What does it mean? This three bold declarations that Jesus makes in this one sentence. He says, I am the way. Jesus was saying, you know the way to heaven because the way is me. You see, there is a great chasm that separates us from our home. And that chasm is sin and death. Sin entered into the world through one man. That was Adam back in, in the garden. Remember, remember the story. Adam and Eve in the garden, and God tells them you can have anything in the garden that you want, but if you eat of that one tree, then you will surely die. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. That's when sin entered into the world. And they surely died. He was talking about the spiritual death, the spiritual separation. That's the great chasm. And now we are born with a sinful nature into this world. And because of that sinful nature, we have been separated from God by this great chasm. This great chasm that there is no way that we can cross. And what Jesus has been explaining to his disciples is that he is going to die. That he is going to the cross. That he is going to be the sacrifice for our sins. He is going to become the bridge of this great chasm so that we will know how to get home. So that our relationship with the Father can be restored. So that we can be in heaven with Him. The cross is where God stepped down from glory. The cross is where Christ bore my sin, where He bore my shame, where He bore your sin, where He bore your shame, and where He became the bridge so that we could get to the place that He is preparing for us. He says, I am the way. I am the one who lays down my life 
for you. I am the one who is the sacrifice for you. I am the one who makes the way possible. You know where to find hope today? You'll only find it in Jesus Christ. You know where to find the promise today? You'll only find it through Jesus Christ. You know where to find salvation today? You will only find it through Jesus Christ because He is the way. Then He goes on and says that I am the truth. Jesus is the revelation and the embodiment of truth in the world. Colossians 1.15 says, The Son, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus can testify to the truth. Jesus can teach the truth because Jesus is the truth because He is God Himself in the flesh who came to this world to live and to die for us. Nothing misleading in Jesus Christ. Nothing that is fake or uncertain in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ was standing trial, it was said that I can find no fault in Him. You will find no fault in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He is the truth. He is the truth. And then He goes on and He says, Not only am I the truth, but I am the life. He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. Man is always searching for ways to make his life better here on this earth. Physically. If I just have more money, I will be more satisfied. I'll be more happy. If I just have that bigger house, if I'll just have that nicer car, if I'll just have that relationship or this relationship, if I could have that job, if I could have this or that, my life would be happier. My life would be better in this life. I will be more satisfied. But the truth is, the things of this world will only satisfy for a moment. But it is Jesus who satisfies, not only for today, but for all of eternity. He is the one that satisfies. He is the one that gives us life now. Jesus Christ said that I've come to give you life and to give it to you to the full, to give you the abundant life that you're searching for. Nothing else in this world will satisfy. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the one that satisfies. But man is also looking for life spiritually. And sometimes we think that we can find this on our own. If I can be good enough, if I can do a good, a good enough things here on this earth, if I can live a life that is better than someone else's life, then, then surely God will let me into heaven one day. You know what that is? That's comparing my righteousness to your righteousness. And anytime we compare our righteousness to someone else's righteousness, then we can measure up, right? Because we'll always pick somebody that's not quite as righteous as I am, at least in my eyes. And so I'm better than they are. So as long as I'm a little bit better than they are, then certainly I will make it to heaven one day. The majority of the world's religions are based upon man's righteousness, man's goodness. Let me remind you today that each and every one of us stink at being good. That should have got a lot of amens right there. But I know what you're thinking. Well, that's for them. I'm pretty good. 
I'm better than they are. We all stink at being good. You don't believe me? Go read through the Ten Commandments today. Remember the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament that they're taken down everywhere. Nobody wants us to remember. Let's just start with number one. You shall have no other gods before me. How many of you would be honest today and say, I have something in my life that I value more than God? Now, we're in church, and I know that you would say that's not the church answer. But the reality is we have things in our life that at times we value more than God. We do. I do. You do. And if we don't, then we're lying. And by the way, we're not to bear false witness, right? So you just broke two of them. How good are we doing? We stink at being good, right? And the Ten Commandments weren't there for us to try to measure up to. The Ten Commandments are there for us to remember that we could never be good enough on our own. Our own righteousness is never good enough. Matter of fact, the Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. And it says that the wages of that sin is death. That means that somebody has to die for that sin. And Christ is the one that dies for that sin. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And when we compare our lives to the standard which is Christ and His righteousness, there is no way that we could ever measure up So God let Jesus Christ die on the cross for us and now His righteousness is our righteousness and that is how we get to heaven is through Christ and Christ alone. There is no other way. And Jesus goes on and continues in that statement and this is what makes a lot of people furious. He goes on and He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a bold statement. You want to get to heaven? You got to go through me. You want to know God? You got to know me. You have to go through me. Now, we live in a society that's an individualistic society. And in this individualistic society, we have decided that there is no one that is going to tell me what to do or how to do it. So how dare he say that there is no way to heaven except through me? That is too narrow-minded. That is not going to be right for me. I will decide how I'm going to get to heaven. Well, let me tell you something. You can decide it all you want. But if you decide any other way than Jesus Christ, then you will miss it. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And get this. That is not just a statement that he made. It's a statement that he made and he backed up. When he died on the cross for your sins and my sins, he backed it up. Because he took my place and he took your place. He took the weight of the world upon his shoulders and he died for us. He backed it up. But it didn't stop there. Just to prove that he backed it up, then on the third day he rose again and he lives today in heaven. Until that moment when he returns 
to take us home with him. And what a great day that's going to be every time I hear that train while I'm preaching. <laughs> Is that the trumpet? Are we ready to go? Listen, I'm looking forward to that day. And in this passage, there's encouragement for all of us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you've been wondering, how am I going to get to heaven? What is the way? He tells you what the way is. And the encouraging thing for you today is what he said, in my Father's house, there's lots of room. And it's open to all who would receive him, to all who would believe, to all who would call on his name. He gives the right of salvation. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all you have to do is to call out to him and surrender your life to him. And today, that promise is for you. For each one of us that are believers today, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Listen, don't be discouraged You believe in God, believe in Jesus, know who He is, and know what the future holds. Listen, our world can fall apart around us every day. And if we place our faith and trust in anything in this world, we are going to be greatly disappointed. But if we will keep our focus on Jesus, we will never be disappointed. And we do not have to be discouraged in our hearts today. We can be encouraged knowing that our hope is in Him encouragement from our Lord and Savior today. Let's pray together. This morning, as you bow your head, you close your eyes, I want you to think about what God wants you to see in this passage today. What is God showing you? And today, if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you'll hear us say this all the time, the most important decision that you can make is to open up your heart to Him, to receive Him, as your Lord and Savior today, to make that decision, to recognize that He is the way and He is the only way, and to allow Him to be the Lord of your life. And the good news today is you can do that right where you're at, right where you're seated today. You can open up your heart to Him and say, Yes, Lord, I believe. And today I'm placing my faith and my trust in You. I want You to be the Lord and Savior of my life. For believers today, Is your heart discouraged? Is there something that's going on in your life and and you're feeling the pain of this world? Lay that at his feet today. Say, God, I want to be encouraged through you. Father, I thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for the truth that's in your word. God, I thank you that in your word we we can count on the promises that you give us. God, I thank you today for the hope that comes through this passage. And God, I thank you that through Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, that he made the way. And God, I thank you today that it is his righteousness that we count on because we know in our own lives that we can never be good enough. God, thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your one and only son. Now, God, I pray for each person here today. God, I pray if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, they haven't made that decision. God, I pray that right now your spirit would just draw them unto yourself. And today, they would place their faith and their trust in you. God, I pray that for each one of us, that our hearts would not be discouraged today. That we would be encouraged 
and we would recognize who you are and what you're doing, that even in the crazy world we live in, that you are still at work each and every day. And God, we long for that place that you are preparing for us. And we look forward to that day when the trumpet will sound and we will be caught up together in the air to be with you. God, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.